welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Jeremiah 25 verse 32. You don't need to turn there. We'll be turning to a different... Quite a few scriptures probably this morning, but let's just pray where we, where we are right now. Would you close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit just to guide me and to open all our hearts to his word. Amen. So, so just before we pray, it's just so good to see you this morning. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Now let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the sense of your presence this morning. Thank you, Lord, for those who came to the prayer altar, Lord God, with genuine faith, Lord, and real needs, and I believe you met with many of them. <clears throat> Thank you for that, yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for us who've come in, Lord, from whatever week we've had, whether it's been the best week of our life or the worst week of our life, we're here in your presence, and we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord. It's true, Lord. In your presence is fullness of joy. Lord, we pray one more time that you would speak to us, encourage our hearts, Lord. I pray, Lord, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up, that we would leave here, Lord Jesus, encouraged in our faith, and honoring you in how we live. Thank you for one another. Thank you for the fellowship of the body of Christ. We thank you for all the good things that you brought into our lives. Thank you, Lord, for Corrine and Adam, Lord God, and little Abraham, Lord, to hear for such a wonderful story this morning, Lord. Thank you, Lord, and encourage all of our hearts. And we encourage ourselves now in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Bless the Lord. Jeremiah 25, 32 says this. Now, you're going to have to just walk with me because this is something the Lord's put on my heart and, and try, to, try to bring it together under the Holy Spirit this morning. And this is what he said. This is Jeremiah, the prophet, the Old Testament prophet, the weeping prophet. He's speaking to the nation of Israel. And Israel is getting these prophetic words coming through from his ministry and his predecessors that there's a time of huge darkness going to come upon his known world at that time. Of course, that wasn't a very popular message among the sort of faith prosperity preachers of his time because their theology is it's all sort of sugar and sweetness and your, your, your relationship to God is just all about you and about him feathering your nest. And, but no, no, listen, I want to tell you that Jesus said in the world you'll have tribulation, you'll have troubles, and that's, that's never going to change. As, uh, you know, it's never going to change until he comes back. The, the journey is understanding that life is, is a very difficult endeavor. <clears throat> and you know, woe to the man who's on his own or the woman that's on his own. Being on your own is not the fact that you're not married or single. On your own is without Christ. Without Christ. You're trying to face circumstances that are way beyond humanity. And, uh, and Jeremiah was prophesying, now this calamity was falling upon Israel because Israel had so rejected and are diluted or you could say defiled the revelation of God that, that God was sending them a mercy judgment. And the mercy judgment was to turn them back to himself because if they didn't come back to him, they were going to get lost eternally. So there was always mercy in the judgment of God. There was all, that was always the heart of God. Uh, again, don't ever think, re- read your scriptures and think God is just petty and he's just ready to smack you one across the knuckles or, and, and, and that's what it is. That's not who God is. We know that from John 3.16, God so loves the world. God is love. Everything that's beautiful that we even see a glimpse of beauty is him. And so <clears throat> he's uh, speaking now and it's coming towards the end where Israel is going to get its punishment. And there is, a, there is a disaster that's starting in the world. It's amazing. It always seems to start in the Middle East, doesn't it? Isn't there something about that part of the world? That from year dot, that's because civilization is morphed from that part of the world. Everything moved from the east to the west. The West was the latest, uh, how the West was won. I remember that was a cowboy show we used to watch because literally civilization as we would have known or that the population of the world moved East to West. And, um, and so he's speaking this verse in the midst of a time where people don't want to hear the sort of a message. People don't want to hear truth. They want to hear their truth, which is not truth at all. They want to hear lies. They want to, they want to hang around people that will tell them everything that they want to hear. If you're a friend to somebody you should always tell them the truth. You shouldn't tell them what they want to hear. You should tell them what's right. It, regardless of the fallout, a good friend doesn't watch the other friend fall over a cliff 
or run into a huge issue in life and just say, well, I'm here for you. I'm here for you after you break your neck when you fall. I'll be there and help you. No, it's too late. Uh, I'm here after you've destroyed your body with drugs or whatever you're going to do. I'm here for you. And that's no good, friends. Being here is being able to talk to people and tell them the truth. And that Jeremiah is a, a friend to his people. He is a, a patriot in the sense that he loved the nation Israel. He loved his people his grandparents, his parents, his brothers, his sisters, his community, people that he loved and he watched, and he, but God raised him up as a prophetic voice. And he's known as the weeping prophet, and he's a weeping prophet because he has this insight to what's going to happen. And this insight has broken him. He is distraught. He's a man that knows there's a, 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 an upheaval coming like, like they've never seen before. He sees the, the calamity that's going to hit Israel. It's awful. He, he, he's also the writer of the book of Lamentations. It's also known as the Lamentations of Jeremiah, where he is broken as he weeps when he sees women of nobility scrambling on dunghills to get a piece of food. The nobility means people of, of, of uh, you know, queens and kings and people like that. And he sees destitution. And nearly a million people are, are going to be um, just, are going to lose their lives through starvation or warfare at that time. It's going to be a horrendous time for Israel. So he knows this is coming. It's, it's, you can imagine his dreams at nighttime. He's seeing these visions. He's seen, he has this word from God that there's an awful calamity and, and it's going to come from the Babylonians. This huge new uh, superpower is emerging from the east, the deep east. And it's, it's taking over the entire area. It's, it's, it's like the cyborg. It's like the Borg, if you ever watch the Star Wars, which is far better than, uh, which it was just uh, not Star Wars. Star Trek, which is way better than Star Wars, Patrick. Just trying to assimilate nations in. That's what they did. They grew bigger. Empires were assimilators. They took over, they assimilated, and then they took the best of that culture, made themselves stronger, took the best of their wise men, took the best of their finance ideas, and made themselves bigger and bigger and became dominant. And, and so he has to speak truth to his people. And it broke his heart. And this is what he said. <clears throat> Can you imagine on a Sunday morning in his church, and he stands up and he says, look, disaster is spreading from nation to nation. A mighty storm is rising from the ends of the earth. Oh, that's not what we want to hear. You know, I have a birthday coming up. Christmas is around the corner. I have a holiday planned. What are you on about, Jeremiah? Another one of these woe betides, you know, these uh, terrible uh, preachers that are always just telling us what we don't want to hear. And, and yet he's weeping, he's broken. <clears throat> he was a spiritual leader to the southern half, to, to Judah. He was known as, as I said, a weeping prophet. He preached uh, to the people of God uh, who had enough religion just to pacify their conscience. So it wasn't that it was religious less. It was just, it, it just the true worship of God had turned into religion. Uh, li listener, take note this morning. It's easy for us to become religious. It's easy for us to sit under the word of God, to come in week in and week out and just become another re religious group of people, do enough to satisfy our conscience and yet live outside of the will of God, or the pattern of God for our life. <clears throat> in essence, there were religions, they were religious in the outset, just like the Pharisees of Jesus' time. Their religious re leaders preached what was popular and acceptable. You know, Timothy tells us the things that people want to hear, gathering themselves preachers to, to say what their tickling ears want to hear. And, uh, you know, just scratch my back and tell me what I want to know. Tell me lies. Tell me sweet little lies. And uh, that's all people want to hear. They want to hear everything's going to be okay. And Jeremiah, on the other hand, as he loved the nation, he was, he was a true, true, honest man of God. <clears throat> and he had to tell a very difficult message. The message was often more than he could bear, thinking about what that meant for his family. He understood the barbarity of this empire. He understood the destitution that would fall upon them. He understood how broken Jerusalem would be, how crippled beyond repair, how its walls would be destroyed and burned to the ground, how its temple would be laid to waste, how its people would be carried off. In Psalm 122, and they sang by the rivers of Babylon, there we wept. When we remembered Zion, it carried us away into captivity and required from us a song. Well, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? 
So when you're walking around uh, Tesco's over the next few weeks and you hear Boney M sing that, just remember it wasn't some catchy tune in the disco. It was a real event for these men and women that hung their harps along the poplar trees as they said, that you were leaving your instruments. How can we even sing? He saw this. He knew this was going to happen. Couldn't, couldn't bear to be the bearer of such a, such a storyline. It was like, why me? I, I just, a man that was just completely and utterly broken by what he saw. Of course, uh, the majority opposed him. The, the majority of the religious were opposed to his teaching. They had the, the God loves you message, where the apple of his eye were Ephraim. We are his chosen people. God would never do that to his people. I want to tell you, the Apostle Paul says, every son he loves, he chastises. You don't ever think that's a small word, because the word chastising in the book of Corinthians is actually likened unto a, a, a Roman jailer that has got a whip that has nine tails in it, and sometimes pieces of metal at the end of the nine tails, and would whip and so, rip skin off the back of, 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 of any rebellious prisoner. That's what chastisement meant. Paul says, listen, that all things are equal. God wants your soul saved. He doesn't want a fit body going to a, a terrible hell. He'd rather have a broken man coming to eternity with him than a fit man going into a lost eternity. Why? Because he loves you. He loved Israel. He still loves Israel. People didn't want to hear that message. They tried Jeremiah for treason. Before that, they threw him into a, a cistern, you know, a big empty stone that's kind of carved out the whole water. Years and years later, as you keep on adding water, the silt grows, and they threw him into an empty cistern, and he's sinking down in the silt of this huge cistern, and they burn his prophetic writings, and, you know, they put him on trial for his life. Thankfully, he came through, but unfortunately, or fortunately, so did his prophecies. And in 605 BC, after an alliance between Egypt and Israel, Israel, rather than looking to God to be its deliverance, went to Egypt. It's amazing how so much parallels are true for the church and the Christian age that we're in. Rather than truly looking for godly solutions for our life, we go to the world. Rather than looking for a way through, for, we go to psychologists, we go to education, we go to, the, to the, the rulers of this world to find us ways through. It's amazing where we look for answers today. <clears throat> People will look everywhere about our Bible. They go to every YouTube video, listen to every lunatic out there to tell you how to live your life, and they're on their fifth marriage already. They go to the Andrew Tates of this world, and you know, and you can just see what that is. Talk a good talk, but I don't think they walk a good walk. The nature of men, friends, is overpowering. You may want to live virtuous, but you can't. You may want to talk up good one-liners of how you should be and how you shouldn't, but you have no power. The apostle Paul says, having a form of godliness, but no power. And that's the reality, that proof of the pudding is in the eating. You see, you see it in, in the lives of everyone. Everyone outside of Christ. Everyone that doesn't walk the way of Christ. It's exactly the same. Regardless of race, color, background, education, social st standing, it's the same. And after 605, after the Battle of Carchemish, <clears throat> when Babylon defeated Egypt and now Israel's natural help had fallen, they turned their armies north towards Jerusalem and encircled the city of Jerusalem. Disaster was spreading. You know, Thessalonians in the New Testament, chapter 5, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, While many are crying peace and safety, sudden destruction shall come upon them as the labor pains on the pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, you moms that have had babies, you know the day's coming. You know, you know when you see another woman that's pregnant and you've gone through it, you know the pains are going to eventually happen. It's not if, it's a matter of when. You know, there's a time of labor, there's a time of travail. And that's what we see in the world today, the headlines of our newspapers. Destruction and war everywhere, and this cry for peace. Right along, the, paralleling together, this destruction that everybody senses. Everybody feels that the foundations of what this world is, all the glue of civilizations, all the glue of societies is falling apart. We're becoming nothing other than individualistic to the point that I don't care about anybody but myself. To the point that we can, without, without even... Moving an eyelid, take the life of an unborn baby, unborn baby in the womb, not even care about it, 
partial birth abortion, who cares? It's all about me, my happiness, my this, my that. It's amazing how the selfishness has become so gangrenous. You know, everything from how we take photographs. Selfishies. We love our selfishies, don't we? My life, my slap-up dinner that I put up the po- uh, put, post up on Facebook for everyone to see. I wish you didn't. Half of them are absolutely diabolical. Gosh. So you cooked your husband a fry and you didn't even drain the oil off it. We all know what that's about. You just want to get the insurance money, kill him off quickly. There can be no doubt in the mind of praying men and women. And I want to tell you, you are among the elites of this world. And I'm telling you, you are because you know more than they do. You know what's really going on in this world. You know exactly what the fight is. You might be a little foggy at the moment. You might be a little carnal. But I'm telling you, if you belong to him, this message, you know it's true. It's the word of God. (laughs) Disastrous spreading. Nation to nation. Great houses and establishments of, of civilization are collapsing around us. Presidents are looking like lunatics. They always were, but they now look like it. Civic leaders the same way. Politicians. Those who had more virtuous tasks like doctors and nurses are as quick to strike over money regardless of their patients. And I'm not saying that's wrong or right. I'm just saying something has shifted. Something has shifted. We seem to hold the line for a while, but something has shifted in our world. Disaster is coming upon it. This cry for peace seems so noble. It seems so right. But yet, it seems so, it, it seems so echo hollow. The world is decaying at a rapid pace. There is a global upheaval and there is a global cry for peace. Peace and safety, and the Bible says, and sudden destruction will come upon them. I want to tell you, friends, that is not an easy thing to say as we are living in such a vulnerable world. Who would ever rejoice over these sayings? Who would ever want to say this is a pleasant thing to confront. In one hand, it's so great to see such a public outcry for peace. The desire for peace is noble. But the question has to be asked, how can there be peace when the Prince of Peace isn't here? And I was contemplating these thoughts in the last number of weeks. I was just contemplating all this in my heart, and I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, what is the response? What is the response? How do we preserve? When we see the attack of the enemy now, it's not just on, on, a, on the physical infrastructures and upon the civic infrastructures of the world, upon society out there, it's now coming close to the home. It's now invading into your value system. It's now invading into your home. It's now threatening the authority of the Christian home. It's now threatening your right to be the man and woman of God in your home. It's now not, it doesn't, it's not just staying in the workplace or it's not staying just in the political field. It's moving right in. How do we how do we navigate this sort of this sort of journey? What what do we do? Psalm eleven, the psalmist says, "What does the righteous do when the foundations are gone? What do we do? We look around and we see that even now, with the hate speech laws that are that are lining up, with the the amount of authority that government is assuming to have, government is assuming the position of God now." Government can tell you what you should be thinking, what you shouldn't be thinking, how you should express yourself and how you should not. Government assumed control that your children are actually their children. That they have more authority in your home than you have. All of a sudden, that sounds really like replacing the true God and bringing in, behold thy, behold thy gods. What do, the, what do the righteous do? 
when the foundations are gone, with this disaster coming in around us. And, and it's a question that you need to grapple with. You need to ask this question of you and your family. You need, to, you need to say, what are we going to do? What is the plan? I preached a message here during COVID-19. I'd never seen it before. And it, it, was, it was simple out, out of the book of Daniel when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were being taken out of, of the very time that Jeremiah was prophesying. The walls had fallen. They were breached. They were taken out. The first four and a half thousand were taken away into captivity of noble men and intelligent and artisans were taken into the kingdom to be assimilated into the Borg to increase the wealth and the value of Babylon. And among them was Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, young men of brilliance, but yet devout men of God that understood that Jeremiah had been telling them this for years and they had fortified themselves. They, had, they knew this was coming. And that's why they were able to react the way they did. See, if you read in your Bible and you think that Jadna, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego just got a bit of the courage at the last moment and stood up. No, no. It says Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And we knew from that word purpose, it means he rehearsed in his heart. It means when he heard the prophecies, he said, we better have a reaction here. We better know what we're going to do before we get there. And you better ask yourself for the sake of your children, for the sake of your marriage, for your own mental and spiritual well-being, when, not if, when this disaster starts to implode, explode upon your house, upon your family. Already in the schools, I heard that my grandchild is already getting a book. I've got about two daddies and two mommies. I want to tell you, what's your response going to be? What did the righteous do? You know, Jeremiah, you know, 29, 4 to 11, he, he, he actually gives a level of instruction because he doesn't panic because all this is the plan of God. It took me a little bit of time to come into victory here to see because all this will have to happen. These labor pains will have to happen. But at the end of it, let me tell you, there is going to be that born-again world, amen? There is going to be a return of godly order. There's going to be a time of travail, but there's going to be a time of pain, you know, but there's going, to be, there's going to be joy, friends. There's going to be peace. There's going to be a presence. There's going to be a provision for the people of God, and it's always been that way down through history. To the point that Jeremiah started to console his congregation by telling us, he said, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem, this is what I want you to do. I want you to build houses and I want you to live in them. Now they're exiled. They're going to be in Babylon. They're out of their promised land. They're being viciously and violently taken. They walked 700 mile journey. It took them months to get there. Weary and broken and saw their, come out, saw their fellow countrymen and their neighbors sometimes brutally murdered and raped. But God says, I want you to remember this. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat of their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your, uh, your sons and daughter, uh, husbands for your daughters that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So the first thing I'm going to tell you this, in the midst of this disaster, you can multiply. You can. What a, what, a, what, what a word this morning to hear for yourself. In the midst of such disaster coming upon this world, I can multiply. Say multiply this morning. In the midst of this dark time, God can do something powerful in my life. And then he says, Seek the welfare of the city that I have set you into exile. And pray the Lord on its behalf. For its welfare will be your welfare. What a wonderful instruction. This was just a confirmation. It's going to happen. These things are going to happen. But I want you to live your life, Christian. Amen. When God gives you opportunity, go get your mortgage. Go work your job. And go see your sons and daughters married. Raise them up. Be blessed. Seek the welfare of the city. What an amazing thing in the midst of this world falling apart. With all the craziness, with, with people in charge, it's like the lunatics are in charge of the asylum. But it doesn't matter, we pray for the asylum in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We pray it will be the best and cleanest asylum on the earth. We pray that somehow God's mercy will be mercy to these people and kind to these people. Amen. 
Oh, we pray for the betterment. Jesus said, blessed are you and men to say all manners of evil against you for my name's sake. He says, but he says, pray for those who persecute you and bless those who hit you on the right side of the cheek, stand on the other side of the cheek. Don't repay evil for evil, insult for insult. That's not the way of the Christian. Amen. We pray for the welfare of all people. Thank God this morning that is the heart of Christ. Though he was reviled by men and hated and despised, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, he reached out to a thief on the cross. Oh, how he reached out to Pilate. How he reached out in his love to Peter. How he, went, how he went to those who were far from him. That was the heart of Christ. And that's the example that you and I live under. And here we have this, this instruction. Seek the welfare. I pray that will be in your heart at this time. That regardless of the destructions around you, that you will live for the glory of God and for the souls of men and women. I pray that would be something that you fortify yourself with. Because there comes a time when things start to grind down slower. We are only at the outskirts at the moment, but it could rapidly change. But in that journey, you have to do a Daniel. You have to purpose in your heart. What am I about? How am I going to live? Apostle Paul, when he's writing to young Timothy... He says, but you know that in the last days, perilous times will come. Chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. For men will become lovers of themselves. Just think about that for a moment. Just meditate what you think that would, what that looks like. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobed, disobedient to parents, Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such, from of, of this sort are those who creep into the households and make captives of gullible women, Loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. As with Janus and Jambore, they resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as theirs was also. But you, having carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions and afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me from. Yes, and all who deserve to live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yes. All. Say the word all with me. This is going to be like an Esther moment, friends. It's going to be, this is a time, friends, of the kingdom. This is a time of the men and women of God. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and being assured of knowing of, from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood as you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for the doctrine and for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God would be completely and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so with such a falling away, I've never seen such lovers of self today. Boasters and slanderers, God-haters, disobedient to parents, disloyal, unloving, because they love just themselves. And so I want to leave you with something that I believe is very fundamental to the Christian. So fundamental as we... It, it, it transcends the old covenant right into the new covenant. 
And you find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I've read the scripture many times as we dedicate children. It's kind of fitting this morning. Because from here you're going to find a way of preserving the testimony of God in your home. The presence of God in your life. Because I, I, I hate to say this, friends, with a, with a heavy heart. But we don't know how long more we'll be able to meet, even as churches. It's not a unique thing to hear. They're already coming after your children in the schools, and some are thinking we'll do Christian schools. If you think that's going to stop it, it's not going to stop it. Think for one second that the same governments that have an agenda to bring a moral thinking that is anti-Christ and anti-scriptural, and that they're going to stop and let you just put a, a walls around you and your own. No, friends, they're coming after everything. The powers of darkness are sweeping in to bring confusion and utter darkness. But this is what the Lord, through Moses, spoke to the children of Israel. He spoke it again in chapter 11 and other places, the same scripture. Now this is the commandment, and these are the statements and judgments, statutes and judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you, that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God, to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you and your son and your grandson all the days of your life and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, be careful to observe it that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall be, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, that they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. And here is a secret. This is how Israel sustained Babylon. When they were taken by force and brought in to be assimilated. This is how Daniel and his, his cohorts, this is how they manifested to live even though they were taken from their temple of worship. No access back to Jerusalem. The temple is burned to the ground. But they had found a secret. And this is a secret that you and I need to hold very dearly, friends. They found how to preserve their walk with God. They found that it's absolutely at the end of the day, friends, this is where the rubber hits the road for you and for me. And should we not listen to this instruction, we are risking the most dearest part of our lives, which is our own sanity, our own relationships, our children, their relationships. We're going to see them become secular, fall away, and go into a lost eternity with broken lives. There's an awful lot at stake here. The world is moving away from Christian values, but this is a time for you and I to start reflecting again what the gospel is all about. He says to him, the word of God, first of all, is to be in your heart. These words I speak to you today are to be in your heart. They need to be not bringing into my heart every day. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. There needs to be a feeding of your soul. You need to hear the word of the Lord. You need to learn how to cultivate that on your own, friends, because there'll come a time when you won't come in here. You won't be able to get in here. There'll come a time when you will not be able to see each other. There might be five years, who knows? I don't know how long, but there will come that generation, for the scripture tells us. And in that time of Babylon, in that time of being ripped away, taken by force, some will end up in prison. Some marriages will be taken apart. Sometimes families will be divided and split. Not because you're a divided family, but because of the attack of the enemy. Already children are being taken from parents in different parts of the world because we would hold to a Bible view on what marriage is and what lifestyle and morality is. And that won't be accepted. People will be offended with you. People will say all manners of evil because of his name. 
I just tell this, and I'm, this is not my morals, this is his morals. This is not my truth, this is his truth. Well, we'll put your God on trial. Well, they'll try. They've tried out already, but I want to tell you, he's still God upon the throne. He gives them time to repent. He loves them. He cares about them. He looks at the foolishness and the petulance of man's behavior. And his long-suffering towards them, friends, is only commendable to his character. How good and how long-suffering the goodness and kindness of God has been to generation upon generation. To, to, you know, I, we sang a song last, last week and I thought the words were phenomenal. Oh God, you know the hearts of all men, yet you let them live. I said, what a word. Think about it. That means you and me. We're no better. We're no worse. We're just as evil. Just as contriving so dark in, in, in aspects of, of our Adamic nature that we don't even want to talk about it because it's so bad. Yet God lets us live in his mercy. Why? Because he wants you to experience him in his life-transforming way. But when these issues come, you need to have the word of the, the Lord, friends. He says to them, this is the second part from the Shema, from Deuteronomy 6. Teach them to your children. Now maybe you have fallen in this way as a Christian. Maybe you've become so busy earning extra overtime and trying to pay the bills that you haven't been the best father or the best mother when it comes to spirituality. But there comes a time where you have to stop making excuses for that and say, I might be late to the party, but today is the day. I might have lost a couple and I have to pray that they'll come back because they're teenagers or young adults, but they're still young vulnerables and there's my own wife and there's my own sanity and my own marriage. I need to start becoming strong in the things of God. And I don't say that to condemn because I made, we made loads of mistakes in our marriage and with our children. But I want to tell you, don't learn from, my mis don't learn from your own mistakes. Learn from my mistakes. Amen. Do that place where, where you know in your heart that you have to teach your children your worldview, the Bible view. They're going to hear every nonsense in school, every antisocial, uh, you know, that there's a lawlessness that's coming in. The Bible talks about a spirit of lawlessness being released upon the world. Paul talks about a delusion coming, a powerful delusion that they'll end up believing a lie. Now, this is not me, this is the Word of God. A delusion that they will end up believing a lie. So how do you preserve? You teach your children. And they come home and you need to tell them what God says. This is what the Bible says, son. This is what the Bible says. This is what we are. We're Christians. We are different. We live differently. We, we, we live according to the word of God. We live a distinct life. We're not the same as everybody else. We are, the Bible says we are pilgrims and strangers in a dark world, friends. We are the true aliens of the, of the universe. Teach your children. Teach your grandchildren. Talk when you sit in your home. Simple, isn't it? Include your children and your teenagers into godly discussions and conversations. Don't be just so stuck on your devices and watching TV or so busy building the house that you can't communicate with your children and talk to them what God has to say. I thank God for my mom and dad. I, I absolutely thank God for my mom and dad. For the endless hours, we would sit with my father and my mother. My dad was a, he wasn't a highly educated man. He, he, he so desired to want to go to school, but could only go in the afternoons. And, and even at then, I don't think he got, got any formal education until the age of eight. He worked behind the bar. He was an orphan, wanted education, wanted to know more. Yet a brilliantly read man, he would read ferociously. And we would sit and we would talk about the things of God. We would talk about the conflict, how we witnessed, how we stood for Christ. We would talk about the two and fours of conversations we had with different people. How we, how we used the scripture to maybe help someone. How we used the scripture to break down a false argument. And I learned by talking with my father and my mother, sitting for hours. It actually, people said to me, who were the biggest influences on your life? And honestly, I said it's the truth. It was my mom and dad. I have powerful friends in the gospel. Pastor Carter Cardinal is one of my best friends. David Wilkerson was a wonderful influence upon my life. B.H. Glendennan. I really had the joy of meeting and, and ministering with and alongside some of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. But they weren't the greatest influence in my life. Listen, mom and dad, you are the greatest influences on the life of your children. You are. 
You are God's number one. You are to the cold face. And if you have been lazy or if you've neglected or you haven't seen the value of it, you got overwhelmed with life, there comes a moment, a serendipitous moment where your eyes must be open. Darkness is spreading. The attack is on. I don't want my children and I don't want my grandchildren drunks and drug addicts and confused about their orientation. I don't want them lost in their sin. I want them going to heaven. So you must talk to your children about God. And that's not a once-off conversation. It's a lifestyle. You read the scriptures. You talk to them. You teach them. Talk to them when you sit in your home. When you walk along the road or drive in your car by today's standards, we don't do too much walking. But walk and drive and talk. Have worship music on. Have good preachers on in the car. Talk about what God is saying. Bring up the conversations. Instigate it. Provoke your children to even ask a few questions. You don't need to fear if they don't agree with you. You don't need to beat them down and tell them they're this, that, and the other. If the gospel is true and it is, it'll stand up to intellectual scrutiny from a six-year-old, I promise you. And a 60-year-old. You don't need to worry. Maybe you haven't all the answers. When you come to your leaders, we'll give you some help with some of those as well. But what you have is inner life. You can always fall back and say, hey, son, hey, daughter, I don't know all those big wigs, neo-atheists with all their big highfalutin words, but the one thing I do know, Christ came into my life and he changed me. I'd be just a simple carpenter. I'd be just a simple maintenance guy. I'd just be a simple taxi driver, but I know him. I know what he's done in my life. I know I have a peace. I know the burden of my sin is lifted. And that's talking to your children, Amen. And if you discover a weakness in the argument, reinforce yourself. Why? Because there's an awful lot on, on, at stake here. This is a battle that you can't afford to lose. Why? Because it's your children. And I want to tell you the best is after that, your grandchildren. I tell you the fight is worth it. The fruit is worth it. When you think of Joshua and the boys coming out of Canaan with the grapes and holding it on the, you know, between, on the post and they're walking out of Canaan, a big lump of grapes, two men had to carry it. This, you know, someone once preached a message about going into Canaan. The fruit was worth it. I want to tell you, grandchildren are worth the fight for now. Amen. Grandchildren, godly grandchildren are a result of you not giving up now on your children. Fight for them, friends. Talk about when you sit in your home, when you walk along the road, before you go to sleep. Do you pray with your children? If they get to such an age, you can't, you know, yeah, they feel a little bit awkward. Before we go to bed, come on, sit down. And just, let me just pray for you for two minutes. Let's just pray as a family. There might be circumstances you can't always end up. You can always put a hand in the cord. Right before you go up the stairs, I just want to pray the blessing of God. Let it never be said from this day forward that we never pray for our children. Let's put a whole new routine. Even if you're a little bit embarrassed and they look at you and go, Dad, you're kind of late to the race there, aren't you? You've never done that for the first 15 years of my life. Well, I'm doing it from now on for whatever's left. Yes. Amen. And if they ask you why, say, I got it really wrong with you. I really should have been at the races earlier. But I'm learning something from the Lord. And I hope somehow spiritually it translates. And they're going to look at you with that one eye shut and say, you're just a bit of a nut, aren't you? You've just got the guilt. So they'll work it. They'll milk it for all it's worth. You know, they'll try to, you know, you're the worst dad and you're the worst mom in the world. Maybe you were. But today is a new day. I said, today is the day that you can start praying again. Today is the day when you can start sharing the gospel again. Before you sleep and when you wake up. Now, these are six. The word of God must be in your heart. You must teach them to your children. You must talk about them when you sit in your house. You must talk when you walk along the road or drive your car. You must, uh, before you go to sleep, you must pray. Talk about God. And when you wake up in the morning, first thing, at the kitchen table or before they go that door, hey, quick prayer. Everybody stop. Leave your coats. Drop your school bags. Everybody close your eyes. Everyone lift their hands. And even if it's only 20 seconds, something of God starts to go in there. Something of the value system. Something you start putting into your children. This must mean something. This must be important because mom and dad would stop the world and won't let us go out that door without praying. Even if you're in the car and you forget about it, and all of a sudden we're going to jump out the door, say, stop, stop, stop. We forgot to pray. It's, we all forget these things. Don't worry about being guilty about that. Just 
Just when you remember, pray again. Reinstate it back into what your DNA is about. This is how you're going to preserve your family unit when the disaster hits our world. This is how you're going to do it. You're not going to be relying on pastors. We're already rightly criticized for not being good enough. And rightly criticized for not being available enough. Because that's true. And it never will be. But I know a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who's only a prayer away. And when you develop a relationship with him. He will meet you with heaven's abundance. He will pour richly upon your life. And I want to, you can't escape. God had given the Jews this preserving element. There was one a strange covenant in, in, um, that God made with, with the Jews called the covenant of salt. And the covenant of salt really was really, without going into the, because all different, you know, we preach covenant a lot, but salt was an idea of adding it to the terms of a covenant that it was enduring, that it lived on. If you want the new covenant to live on in your family, sprinkle the salt of these, of, of Deuteronomy chapter 6 into your family. Put this salt in there. This is what you have to do if you want preservation. Because you may be going to heaven with a broken arm and a broken leg because of your foolishness. But your kids could all be going to hell, friends. I want to tell you, you need to all be going to heaven. Amen. You need to all be going there. You might be going to heaven, with, I said, with a broken arm or leg. But you need to bring your children. You need to bring them in tow with you. Now he said another thing to them. This is the last couple of things before we close down. He tells to the Jews, he says, talk about the word of God. These words are to be on your heart. Talk to them, your teach them to your children. Talk when you're in your home, when you walk along the road, when you get up, when you go to sleep, when you wake up. Then he says, bind them on your hand. If you're a Christian, now the Jews literally would bind small scriptures around their hands or frontlets. They would put little scriptures on to remind them of the promises of God. But what it means for you means not to walk around with dangling pieces of scriptures off us. It means something far more deeper. It says, bind them on your hand means it's just how you work. How you give your strength is true how you worship. In other words, there needs to be integrity. There needs to be righteousness in how this outworks in your life. And it says, as frontless before your eyes, how you discern is in the light of the word of God. How you work is in the light of the word of God. And how you discern is in the light of the word of God. Everything for the Christian is through the lens of this book, amen. Everything. There's no Dr. Phil here, or Dr. Ruth, or Dr. Spock. There's no other mediator, friends. For us, it be the word of God. And these words shall be upon your heart. And this is the inheritance that you give to your children. Now, you may not have much of an inheritance, my dear old dad left the house and there's 10 already looking to see what the... Mom, we want you around for another 100 years. But I tell you, he gave us a far greater thing than a house to be distributed to his children. He gave us an inheritance in the gospel. He talked, he taught, he lived, he walked, he breathed. And as a consequence, through our rebellion, which we all went through in various forms, it was etched into our conscience that this has validity. There's something here. My dear old dad didn't just teach me how to live. He also taught me how to die. I saw in him, boy, the victory of Christ, of a man that I was absolutely convinced. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, I am persuaded. My, he was no more persuaded than my dad. <laughs> my father was the most persuaded man I've ever met in my life. Persuaded of the one who saved him out of darkness and brought him into the glorious kingdom of his son. How... You discern this through the scriptures. Write them on the doorposts of your house. Let everybody know your house is a Christian house. John is allowed to watch this movie in his house. This is a Christian house. Mary can have her boyfriend sleep over in her house. This is a Christian house. What goes on in this house is only what the word of God permits. Amen. Amen. Don't go left or right. Because if you stay on this, whatever happens in this world, just like the Jews, just like the Jews, friends, you will be able to preserve what God has done in your life. Whether you be in Jerusalem or Babylon, whether you can attend court church or we are gone to the four winds. I'll leave you with this last word.
This is Joshua. As he's finished up his book, he's led the people into the promised land, but there's still a lot of enemies, a lot of wars to be fought. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Because you've got to serve somebody. It's going to be the devil or the Lord, but you will serve somebody. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river are the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. We shall serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. And I say to you today with, with, with a pleading heart, choose who you're going to serve. And I pray it will be the Lord. And not the gods of this world. And the folly of this world. And the foolishness of this world. And all the sensuality and big mouths that mean nothing. And say with me, as for me and my house, I will serve the Lord. Let that be your mantra. And I will tell you this, I promise you, he will preserve you like he preserved the Jews in Babylon. And he will restore you back again to health. And he will bring you back at arms. He will carry you on eagle's arms. One day he's coming back to carry his bride upwards. Who knows, friends, maybe we'll see it. Maybe in our lifetime. Will you stand this morning and just ask the Lord? Simply ask him. Ask him for help where you've been weak as a parent. And say, oh God, I now know that the secret of endurance in my Christian life is to build my family strong on the word of God in prayer. To talk, you know, to talk about you more than I talk about football or music or money or whatever is in your home. Talk about Christ. Put the value system right because when it all goes wrong, not if it goes wrong, when it goes wrong, friends. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And God will be like a night watchman over you. He will set a guard behind and before. He will lay his hand upon you. And he divinely will see you true. Hallelujah. Raise your hands. Just worship for a moment. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.